0: Uh, Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, as we continue to work our way through this life-changing letter from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, Colossians 3 and verse 1 marks a decisive shift in the book. The apostle is moving from doctrine to living, from theology to practice. Uh, We have seen uh, many of the glorious truths in chapters 1 and 2 concerning Christ. First of all, who he is as our creator and as our redeemer. And then, by virtue of our union with him through faith, who then we are. We have been redeemed. We have been uh, delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We have been forgiven of all of our sins. We stand in him complete. We are full in Christ. This is who we are now. This is our new identity, a new identity that is locked in and secure Because we are in union with the very Son of God who gave his life for our sin and rose from the grave and even lives now as the ascended high priest at the right hand of God. And all of this new life and all of the ramifications of this new life are the fruits of God's incredible mercy toward us and his grace. But this new life comes with new expectations, or may I say obligations, and perhaps that word bothers you when you think of salvation in terms of grace and the Christian life in terms of grace. Maybe the word obligations is bothersome to you, but it ought not to be, for if we understand grace properly... God's grace does not only save us from our sins and promise us eternity with him in glory, but it also works to revolutionize our lives, to transform us from the inside out, to remake us into the image of Christ. And these divine expectations, however, are not a payoff to God. It's not like we're trying to pay him back. For what he has done for us. Because there is no way that we could ever pay the Lord back for his salvation. But the expectation of living in a new way is the logical consequence of being made new in Christ. And being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. That is our big idea this morning. That is that in Christ... Every believer has died to sin and risen to new life, a life that embraces new expectations. This is clearly seen in the very first word, if then, actually, which could be better translated, since then. Since all of this is true that I've been teaching you in chapters 1 and chapters 2, there ought to be a change in your life life there are new expectations why because we once were dead and now we are alive we are alive in Christ and that's the good news that the scriptures give to us that there is new life in Christ that that before God saves us we are like the Samaritan woman who met Jesus at the well She was hunting for meaning and purpose in life through repeated immoral relationships. But Jesus spoke life into her heart. Jesus spoke peace and grace into her soul. And she finally saw what she really needed was a new life. And like her, we must each meet Jesus there. We must meet Jesus at the well of living water At the fountain of spiritual life. We must be born again. But how is this possible? Well, the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, see, it's according to his great mercy, not according to our works, But according to God's great mercy, that he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The new life that we possess in Christ is linked forever to the resurrection. And that's why we're talking about the risen life this morning. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives birth to this new life through the gospel, Just as you did not conceive yourself in your mother's womb, so you did not cause yourself to be born again. It is the Holy Spirit of God, through the hearing of the word of God, through the good news of the gospel, that he gives birth to saving faith within us. It is truly God who saves us. We do not save ourselves. James 1.18 says it this way, In the exercise of his will, God brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. It is God who brought us forth by the word of truth. So being born again is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus teaches us in John 3. When he says to Nicodemus, Do not marvel that I say this to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Those then who are born again supernaturally by the Holy Spirit through the gospel are then empowered to live this new life, to live in newness of life. We are. God does not save us and then say, okay, now do your best for the rest of your life. God saves us and then plants within us the Holy Spirit of God who is the power that we need in order to live out this newness of life. And so this is the result of God's good work in us. So this is not a power that is imposed from the outside, but it is a never-ending supply of living water within the heart and the soul. This is internal power that replaces the sinner's outward pressures to conform to some religious system. This isn't religion. This is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And the end result of that will be eternal life. Eternal life in Christ is not merely a gift that God grants to sinners after a lifetime of doing their best to live the Christian life. It is the fulfillment of the life that God began in us at the moment. Of conversion. Romans 6.22 says. But now having been freed from sin. And enslaved to God. You derive your benefit. Resulting in sanctification. And the outcome. Eternal life. Now as we've been seeing. The last two chapters. Which is the last few months. Months. Paul has been expressing his deep pastoral concern for those in the church who were being led astray by worldly philosophies, being pulled back into legalistic religious regulations, rather than being deeply rooted and grounded in their new identity in Christ. And he now shifts gears in chapter 3, to tell us that the rearrangement of all that is within us by virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit works itself out, outwardly, in our lives, in our attitudes, in our perspective, in our focus, in our priorities, in our lifestyle. The Spirit of God is working to rearrange every part of our lives so that it revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ, that he truly is the center. Just as every planet in our solar system revolves around the sun, so every part of our lives is now supposed to revolve around the Son of God. Jesus truly should be the center of all. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is our resurrected and living Lord who deserves our love and our loyalty. Now having set that stage, so to speak, in the first two chapters, Paul now gives to us three expectations of new life in Christ. Number one acknowledge the reality of the risen life. This is a divine expectation that grows out of what God has done in us and is doing in us by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, if then, or as I've already mentioned, can be translated since then, in other words, because this is already true, Because you have been raised with Christ, then do this. Because you now live the resurrected life, this is what you need to do. This is the expectation. And so Paul is talking about our new position in Christ, that is, our legal standing before God in the courtroom of heaven, so to speak. And yet some in the church at Colossae were living as if they were dead. They were not living like they were alive in Christ. They were living like they were still dead in their sins. They were not walking in the freedom and the power that belonged to them in Christ. They were, as Jeremy Camp describes, like a dead man walking. His personal testimony in his song is, Freedom was something I never found, trying to find six feet underground, under the weight of all of my sin, fighting the fight that I couldn't win. Then you rescued me, and now I can breathe. I was a dead man walking until I was a man walking with you. I was a blind man falling until I felt the life you are calling me too. Pulling me out of the darkness, pulling me out of the lies, putting the beat in my heart again. I was a dead man walking until you loved this dead man walking back to life. That's what the apostles talking about here. This is the heart's testimony. Of those who have been born again by the Spirit of God, those who are not merely religious talkers, but truly alive, walking in the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Question Are you a dead man walking? Are you a dead woman walking? Have you deceived yourself? Are you someone who accepted Jesus into your heart but knows nothing about bowing to his authority? Are you one of those that we learned about in chapter 2 who wants all the benefits of the kingdom without the rule of the king? Are you trying to live the Christian life? To find your way while you are six feet underground? Or have you experienced this new life in Christ and, and you know Jesus and you know that you are no longer dead in your sins but you are alive because knowing that is crucial to then how you live the Christian life. I remember counseling a man a previous church that I pastored and counseled him for a long time and his eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit of God and Saved And remember the thing he said to me, he said, Paul, there's no more miserable person on the planet than someone who's trying to be a Christian without being a Christian. Because he had spent most of his professing Christian life trying to live like a Christian without actually being a Christian, without actually having the life of God within his soul. And Paul is desperately helping us to see who we are in Christ and that the goal of the Christian life is to make our position in Christ our daily experience. That is, our position needs to become our practice. Are we moving in the right direction? I'm not talking about perfection, folks. I'm talking about progression. I'm not saying are you perfect now (laughs) that you know Christ because that day isn't coming until Jesus comes again but I am asking are you moving in the right direction are you making progress in the Christian life Because Paul is saying that positionally if Jesus is your Savior and Lord then he is already the center of your life. Now practically speaking you need to realign everything in your life around him as the center. Before we knew Christ our own selfish will was the sun in our personal solar system. But now Paul says Christ is should be the center. Well, how do we do this? How do we live this way? Well, we do it by giving attention to the God-given responsibilities that come with the risen life. That brings us to our second expectation. Accept the responsibility to live the risen life. You've got to acknowledge the reality that if you are in Christ, you are already risen with him, and therefore the risen life is to be your life. And now, what does that risen life look like? What expectations come with that? What responsibilities come with that? And in a nutshell, Paul gives us one basic responsibility, and that is to live by eternal values, not earthly ones. And he describes this in two ways. First... Concentrate your activity on heavenly things. If then or since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And that seek is in the present tense in the original language, which means it's a continual action. Keep on seeking. Never stop seeking the things above. Spiritual things, eternal things, the things that ultimately matter, not all of the things that are tied to this temporary life, but those which are linked to eternal life, those which are with Christ. And this requires daily diligence, doesn't it? We live in a world filled with distractions, and we live with a heart that's filled with depravity. And we need the Lord's help. Paul is saying that what you believe is ultimately important because it will govern how you spend your time, your money, and your energy. It will govern what you seek to get out of this life. In Matthew 6, Jesus exhorts us to live with this eternal eternal perspective he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures where in heaven don't get so locked into this earthly life and that you live for everything that's horizontal instead we live for the vertical We live for the Lord. We are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. See, when we invest in eternity, when we live with an eternal perspective, we are laying up for ourselves treasures that no one can ever steal away from us. No one will ever be able to scam our eternal riches. Never. They won't be able to break in and steal them. The rust that destroys our vehicles in Ohio won't destroy any of our eternal riches. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Years ago, I remember reading a news article about a man who died. Died at the age of 101. And he left $1.1 million to a Bible college and to his local church. Who do you think he was? Was he a banker? No. Was he a CEO? No. Was he a Silicon Valley software giant? No. He was a janitor. His whole life, he was a faithful, God-fearing janitor who lived with an eternal perspective. And after he died at the age of 101, his will was revealed and the executor of the will said he was faithful to the Lord and on top of that, he was a millionaire. We just couldn't believe it. That was a man who lived with eternal values, eternal perspective. He knew he only had one life to live, only one chance to make his life count for Christ and for eternity. And he lived by seeking not the things that are below, but the things that are above where Christ is. Concentrate your activity On things that are above. Secondly, concentrate your attention on heavenly things. And obviously these are linked because what you give your attention to is what you're going to give your activity to. Set your minds, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Literally, keep on thinking this way. Keep thinking about eternal things. Keep thinking about who Christ is and your eternal riches in Christ and it will put this life in perspective. What's so important about the mind? Well, all of our actions begin in the mind. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes. Paul exhorts us in Philippians four eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Lock your mind in on these things. Spiritual warfare takes place in the mind. That's why Paul's calling these believers back from worldly philosophy. If you turn back to 2 verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. When you give your mind to worldly philosophy and worldly counsel, if that's what you give your attention to, it's only a matter of time that your activity will follow in line with that. We must be vigilant. It's so easy in this life to lose our focus and for life to really become blurry when we don't. Lock in our minds on Christ and who he is. So we've got to stay on track. But how do we stay on track? We stay on track uh, off the paths of sin and off of the temptations of Satan by pursuing the things that are above. He says not on the things that are on earth. This is an expectation that comes with the risen life. There's a third expectation in verses 3 and 4. Act on the reasons you can live the risen life. Act upon the reasons you can live this life. You can in the power of the Spirit. You can in your union with Christ live this risen life. Paul gives five reasons to live out our new life in Christ. First, you have died with Christ, verse 3. For you have died. The word for, transition word, it's a reason word. It's, in the words, this is why you should set your mind on things above. This is why you should pursue the things above. This is why you should seek Christ, because you have died. You have died to your old life. You have died to sin and you are now alive to Christ. And so God sees you this way. God already sees you as being dead to sin and alive to him in Christ. He already sees you risen to new life. That's your position before him. Romans 7 talks about this and argues for us to understand the freedom that is ours in Christ, that we are dead to the old man and we are dead from bondage to law-keeping like we learned last week when, when the apostle confronted legalism as one of three major errors that were impacting the church there. But Paul says in, in Romans 7 that we are alive in the spirit. He says, do you not know, brothers, For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. "'Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress "'if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. "'But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, "'and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. "'Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law "'through the body of Christ.'" So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while, listen to his logic, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now... We are raised from, excuse me, released from the law. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That is what Paul is saying here. Do you not understand you have died to sin in Christ? You have died to the penalty of the law. You are now free to live in the realm of the spirit. Why? Why do you no longer have to live your life as if you have to somehow earn your acceptance before God? Because you have died to that and you are now alive In Christ, who makes you fully acceptable before the Father. In Christ, Paul is saying to these believers, you have died to legalistic law keeping as your way of seeking acceptance with God. Now you are alive in the spirit. You are already secure in God's love. Now live like it. Live like you are secure in the love of God. This brings us then to the second reason you can live the risen life. Your life is hidden with Christ. This is perhaps one of the most favorite phrases in the New Testament of mine. There's so much here. Maybe someday I'll preach a whole sermon just on this phrase. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden means a place of security, a place of safety. Your life is safe and secure in Christ who is hidden with God. That's amazing. That takes my mind Back to John 10, where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Listen to what he says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That is Jesus' way of saying exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Your life is now hidden with me in God. I'm holding you safe and secure in my hands and the Father has wrapped His hands around my hands, you are secure. You are safe in Christ. Why is that so important for us to know? Because so many times we find ourselves running other places for safety and security instead of to Christ. And when we are fearful... And when we are anxious, where must we run? We run to Christ. Our life is hidden with him in God. Now this word hidden also implies the fact that we we cannot see this. This is a life we cannot see. This is a a safety and a security that we lay hold of by faith, not by sight it is a walk of faith like we learned last week galatians 2:20 i have been crucified with christ and it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life that i now live i live by faith by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself up for me If you know Jesus, then your life is hidden with him in God and nothing can ever touch you in a way that threatens your eternal security in Christ. There's a third reason you can live this way. You have Christ as your very life. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, you have Christ as your very life. He, the risen, ascended, living Son of God, is your life. You have no life outside Christ before I was saved my life was outside of Christ God saved me brought me to into union with Jesus and now the only life I have is the life that is mine in him there is no outside of Christ for me anymore and the same is true of you who love Christ Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Christ is your Life, You are a branch. I am a branch connected to the vine who is the life, Christ. Christ is living the risen life through us. We do not live it on our own. We do not live it in our own power. There's a fourth reason you can live the risen life you can expect Christ's return. Look at verse 4 again. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. You can expect Christ to return. Like our spiritual life, the glory of Christ is presently concealed from our view. It's hidden. But the day is coming when all will be revealed. Jesus is coming again, and you can count on that. And what that means then for us as believers is we need to live in light of that promise. We need to live in light of the fact that he is coming again. James 5 says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When we truly believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is coming again, and he could come again at any moment, that teaches us to be patient in this world that provokes impatience in us. We are naturally impatient people the way it is, but then there's so much change, so much turmoil, so much insecurity in this world that then provokes us even further to be impatient, not to wait on the Lord And then finally there's a fifth reason you can live like you are alive and that is you will be glorified with Christ. One day you will appear with him in glory. One day you will be glorified as Jesus is glorified. One day we will truly be fully free not only from the penalty and the power of sin but also the very presence of sin. We will be free. And what a day that will be. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, now we are children of God. That's what we are now, right now, adopted children of God. And it has not appeared as yet we, what we shall be. We can't see it yet, but we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is you will be glorified with Christ remember that that will empower you to keep fighting the sin that grieves you that will strengthen you in times of suffering when you wonder Lord will I ever make it through this trial he is coming again and one day you will be like him. And one day, those who have died before the second coming will return with him in triumph. One of the things that I do when I get overwhelmed by my own struggles with sin and suffering or when I get overwhelmed and just really downtrodden by all that I see in the world is reading revelation 19 i love to go to revelation 19 and read about the second coming of the lord jesus let me just read a few verses to you and just think about this this is what's coming then i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse i love horses i always have another reason i love this chapter The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven. That's all believers who die before the second coming and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses yes i am going to get a horse <laughs> i used to ride my bike 2 miles as a boy to a local farm where i just stand there outside the fence and just look at the horses And dream of the horses. Horses are a really expensive pet. So I don't have a horse. But I'm getting one someday. (laughs) I'm getting a white one when I come back with Jesus. And you will too if you know him. So, what's Paul's point? Paul's point is that in Christ, every believer has died to sin and risen to new life. And that life then embraces a new set of expectations. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Are you spiritually alive? Have you been born again? Then if so, then you are already alive in Christ. And now you need to live in light of these truths. I hope you're growing in knowing who you really are as we're working through Colossians. That you may be encouraged and empowered by the Spirit of God to live out these new expectations that are yours in Christ. Father, we have been reminded this morning that Jesus could come back at any moment. And so we ask ourselves, am I ready? Am I ready? First, do I know the Lord Jesus? Am I secure in knowing that He alone is my security? He alone is my justification before the Holy God. And Lord, we ask ourselves, am I ready? Am I living like I am called to? to this risen life? Am I living like I have the very life of God within my soul by virtue of the Spirit of God? Surely, Lord, you have used your word this morning to pierce all of our minds and hearts in unique ways according to what you know each of us needs. I know what I needed to hear this morning and how you have both comforted me and corrected me. And I pray the same for every brother and sister here today. And Father, if there's anyone here today who has not yet come to know Jesus, would you, by the power of your Spirit, breathe new life into them? Draw them unto yourself that they might find this peace and joy and new life in him. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.